Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So friends, sometimes if you you know, if you're paying attention to the readings that we have for Mass, sometimes the way the lectionary lays things out, it's sometimes a little bit harder to figure out the connection between what they're thinking from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Sometimes it's a little bit of a hunting expedition to be like, why'd they pick that reading to go with that gospel? And you got to like think, like, how do these align with each other? Then other times, like this Sunday, for example, the connection between the Old Testament reading and the gospel is pretty dang obvious. Did you catch it? You with me? Yeah? And if you missed it, the psalm, I mean, come on, the psalm we just sang, the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel, right? So like if you're like, what is the vineyard symbolism? Just wait for the psalm. It'll tell you, right? David's spelling it out pretty clearly. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Sometimes the Lord's parables, sometimes his parables are about unpacking or, or shining a, a light on a particular dimension of the kingdom or a dimension of his identity, right? The kingdom of God is like this or the kingdom of God is like that. This parable, though, this parable is, is different. It's an allegory. We can put it this way. It's an allegory of the entire story. It's an allegory of the entire story, the big picture. It's, it's a retelling of God's dealings with humanity, how God, like from the moment of creation all the way through the fall, our rebellion through the covenants and the sending of the prophets all the way up to the sending of the Son, the incarnation, right? Like Jesus, in this parable, he's, he's, de- he's giving an allegory. He's giving an allegory form, I should say, an allegory form what is going to happen to him, right? What's going to happen to him. Recall, right, who was he addressing this parable to? This is not an inside crowd parable. This is to the chief priests and the elders of the people, to the chief priests and the elders of the people, who are the ones who are going to condemn the son and throw him out of the city, outside of the city walls and have him killed? The chief priests, the elders of the people, right, in collusion with the Romans. Fast forward to Good Friday. What was the thing that, that, that for them was the, the condemning accusation? What was it that got them so riled up? It was the fact that Jesus, the son, Claimed to be the son, right? He claimed to be the divine son of man. That's why they tear their garments and say, what further need of testimony have we, right? It was his claim to be the son. One of the first things that I find so astounding about this parable, about this story, is Jesus, right, standing right in front of them, in front of the chief priests, the elders, the leaders of the people, standing right in front of them, like, is love himself, love incarnate, standing right in front of them, face to face, beauty himself, goodness himself. And they're blind. They're utterly blind, blinded by their self-conceit, blinded by their self-sufficiency, blinded by their vision of what, like, of auto-salvation, that we save ourselves by being strict adherence to the law. We don't need deep inner transformation. We just need to behave well. They're so blinded by pride that they cannot even see standing in front of them is not someone who's just simply good at loving 
or someone who's good at this or good at that. It's love himself, goodness himself, and they're blind to it. Like, people can look. We can look. People can look goodness in the faith, face and truth and beauty and just not want him. Like, these are the same people who will say to Pilate, we don't want that one. We want Barabbas. Fulton Sheen, he said one of the saddest words that will ever be spoken about humanity in the beginning of John's Gospel, that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not accept him. His own did not receive him. That there was no room for him in the inn. Like that's just the sad, tragic story of just humanity. The second thing that really stood out to me as I was praying through this this weekend, the thing that it just like, like my heart was just undone by this detail from the gospel. This little detail that Matthew gives at the start of this gospel, where Jesus says, before he launches into the parable, he says, Hear another parable. Hear another parable. Like, to the people whose hearts are so hardened, standing right in front of him, in the face of the ones who are, who are literally hatching plots to have him arrested and put to death, the ones who are so deeply and fundamentally rejecting him, Jesus, who is, who is the love of the Father. It's like he's reaching into the quiver to pull out another arrow, to aim at their hearts, to try and strike the target. He's trying again and again to have something land for them. Like, okay, hear another parable. Maybe this one will work. Like, there's this endless creativity that comes bubbling up out of the heart of Jesus. He's trying to break their walls down. He's trying to wake them up to get them to hear him, to get them to see. Like, I'm reminded of Luke chapter 15, right? Luke chapter 15, which is I mean, it might be my favorite section of all of the Gospels, of all of Scripture, but Luke 15, we heard Jesus give three parables in fast succession, right? The parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And in each of those parables, what's so astounding is this sort of active, dynamic, hunting, searching, restlessness that you find in the shepherd looking for the sheep, that you find in the woman searching for the coin, that you find in this father looking for his son, right? The shepherd who, who leaves the 99 in the wilderness to go find the one lost sheep. He's looking for the one lost. And I mean, think about, like he's willing to risk his own life. He goes out into the wilderness risking danger, cold, all of these things, to find the lost sheep, the energy he's putting into this. Or think of this woman, how Jesus says, she lights the lamp, she's turning over the house, sweeping the house to try and find this one lost coin. Or the father of the story of the prodigal son, who every single morning arises to stand out on the balcony of his house, to look out in the horizon, to see if his son is cresting the hill to come home. And then when he sees him, he tears off, right, energetically, running to his son, embracing his son, kissing his son, sandals on the feet, robe on the back, ring on the finger, slaughtering the fattened calf. And Jesus, just like that, is saying right here to these chief priests, the elders, hear another parable. Like he's actively pursuing them. And, and look, when I say them, I'm talking about us. 
I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. This is not a parable about like, oh, those idiot chief priests and elders who just were so rejecting Jesus. No, this is, this is the living word that's alive and effective, and this is being spoken to you and me. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Like there are in your heart and my heart, there are chief priests and elders who preside in our hearts, who want to keep him at a distance, who want to keep him out. There's parts of your heart, and there's parts of my heart, there's parts of our lives that do not wish to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Like there are parts of your hearts and there's parts of my heart that just want to throw, that want to throw him out of the city and nail him to the cross. And you're sitting there thinking, oh yeah, like really? What part of my heart? I'll tell you. The part of your heart that still loves your sin more than Jesus. The part of my heart that still loves my sin more than Jesus. That's the part that wants to crucify him. This is the part that wants to dethrone him and throw him out. The parts of our hearts that still prefer comfort. The comfort that, the pseudo comfort that comes from our sins rather than the crucifying call of real love or real sacrifice. I'm talking about those parts of our hearts that just resist conversion. Like, I don't want to let you into this. But what's so amazing, right? What's so amazing is he never gives up on conquering our hearts. Friends, there's just no one like him. There's just no one like him. There's no one who loves like he loves. Like, did you, did you catch the prayer? I know I chanted it, so sometimes it's hard to really hear it, but the prayer that we prayed at the beginning of Mass, the Kalak, did you really catch it? Because it's astounding. I'll read it again for you. It's okay. Almighty, ever-living God, who in the abundance of your kindness surpass the merits and the desires of those who entreat you, pour out your mercy upon us to pardon what conscience dreads and to give what prayer does not dare to ask. Like the abundance of your kindness. We're asking God, to surpass, <clears throat> to surpass the merits and the desires of those who entreat you. Like, go, you're, we want, like, go, so, he's going so far beyond what we deserve. He's going so far beyond what, what any of us could have ever desired, is what we're saying in this prayer. That's who he is. He's pardoning what conscience dreads. What does your conscience dread? I know what my conscience dreads, that there's parts of me that's like, there's parts of us where we fear that like this renders me utterly unlovable, utterly unforgivable. He's pardoning what your conscience dreads and he's granting what you don't even dare to ask for in prayer. He's dreaming bigger than you could ever dream is the point. So this vineyard owner, he sends the son, the father sends Jesus, he's killed and then Jesus asks the question, Right? And who is he asking the question to? He's asking the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the, the leaders of the people who are going to put him to death, who are going to throw him out of the city and nail him to a cross. This is the question that he asks them. 
What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? In other words, what do you think those people who killed him deserve? What do you think they got coming to them? They answered, not Jesus, they answered, Surely he will put those wretched men to a wretched death. And does that not seem like justice? Does that not seem logical? Like, well, of course, like, they killed them brutally. They killed the son to try and claim his inheritance. They're usurpers. Of course he would put them to death. That's not what Jesus says. He looks at them like his heart breaking. Have you not read the stone that the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone? Like, don't you know the story? That the lamb offers himself to be sacrificed? Don't you see it? Like, on the morning of the resurrection, Jesus, the risen son glorified, he doesn't make a visit to Caiaphas's palace. He doesn't make a visit to Pilate's palace or Annas's palace to render retribution and condemnation. No, he steps into the upper room with total composure and he says, shalom, peace. Friends, I just want to share this, that what the Father put on my heart to communicate this weekend is this, that you and I, we, we cannot comprehend this love. We can catch glimpses of it and have like the tiniest of tastes of it. Like we can see a few threads of this masterpiece of the tapestry. But to comprehend this love? No. Like not even close. Friends, our story, the story that we come every week, some of us every single day to be reminded of, our story the story that we are part of, the story that is still being written. We are in the 29th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. This story, it is the strangest, most beautiful, most shocking story ever told, the most shocking story ever believed by the vast majority of people, taken seriously by people. So maybe let's pray for this grace, that in this Mass, let's pray for the grace to like see with new eyes this image of the crucified Lord before us. It's like unfurled on the cross is, is the unrelenting, unimaginable beauty of the love of God, a love that is like madness and folly. It's a, it's a love that bankrupted heaven to buy your heart. Let's just pray for that grace. Amen.